morning crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from the top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several of my friends this morning. We got the funniest Italian in crypto and the top crypto researcher on the planet, Mr. Johnny Crypto, back on this Wednesday morning. Always happy to have you, brother. The UFC champion, a.k.a. the ultimate fan of crypto, Gonzo the Crypto Goliath, is joining us. Thank you for your last second entry. I always appreciate you, Gonzo. You saved us today. And we have a very special guest. His income is passive-aggressive, but his muscles are made for confrontation. From bodybuilding to IT, this man does it all. It's showtime, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the program. We're always excited to have you. Thank you for joining us today. So today on Good Morning Crypto... We will be discussing the SEC is feeling the heat. We break down how the SEC went about picking winners and losers far before the Ripple lawsuit and how this may affect the case going forward. Facebook slash Meta wants nearly a 50% cut of all virtual asset sales on their Horizon platform. Do these players understand something we don't? The IMF conducts a study on crypto deciphering whether the crypto market is fueling corruption or helping citizens escape government's control. And we break down the five new cryptocurrencies Shark Tank star Kevin O'Leary is actively adding to his portfolio. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So that was smooth like butter this morning, guys. I'm feeling amazing. And we have a very special guest. Showtime is in the house. So how are you feeling on this beautiful Wednesday morning? I'm still getting over being sick. Thanks so much for having me, man. I got to have you follow me around everywhere to make introductions. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Jordan Harry said. (laughs) That's awesome, man. (laughs) So we got a ton of good stuff today, and I'm really excited to get into it. But I'd love to give the guys a chance to just ask you some questions. Is anything on the forefront of your mind, Johnny Crypto, that you'd love to run by Showtime? Um, Yeah, there's a couple of things. I think we can hop into them as we uh, maybe go through the – the fear and greed index, and then we could hop into maybe some node discussion and see what's uh, what's happening in the node world. Beautiful. And Gonzo, this is your time. If you have any questions, ask him now. If not, we're going to hop right into our articles. <laughs> well, first of all, Abs, that was an excellent introduction, dude. You just slay it every day, and you get better and better, brother. But Thanks, yeah, man. you know what? Just uh, I'm sure the conversation will evolve just to hear about nodes. But uh, you know, honored to be here with you, Showtime. So I wasn't here last time, so awesome. And for any of our listeners wondering, I'll be sure to ask him a little bit about Phoenix, a little bit about Freeway, because I want to learn some information. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who do as well. But with that being said, we'll hop into our articles the same way we always do. We've got the Good Morning Crypto channel at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. But more importantly, we have Showtime2KX on Twitter. If you're looking for more access to him, this is the best place to do so. He's got nearly 23,000 followers, very active on this account and always sharing great information. So awesome job there. We're going to hop into the fear and greed index. We're sitting in extreme fear this morning, guys. Nothing new here. We were sitting at a 20 yesterday, and we're at a 25 today. I'll kick it to Gonzo for some quick comments before we hop into our cryptocurrencies. Uh, Yeah, you know, I I was thinking about something this morning. I know we always kind of talk about, like, what we're watching and stuff like that. But I was thinking about there's some comments yesterday about, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I started to think about this morning about, like, the whole tribalism thing and the Bitcoin maxis and the altcoin maxis. And really, when you're talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're not competitors. And this is just my opinion, right? Um, they're two totally different things, right? We look at Bitcoin, it's a 
store of value. It's a hedge against inflation, digital gold, digital property, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, but it's not like Ethereum, right? Ethereum has smart contracts, right? It has the DeFi. Um, it has things that um, are built on top of it. So it's funny when people get in this whole like competition thing about them, they're totally, and, and not to like just, you know, talk up Ethereum, you know, because Bitcoin has the Lightning Network, right? Which is a, a, a global monetary um, network that Ethereum doesn't have, right? Ethereum has the high gas fees, um, but with the Lightning Network, um, it's faster and then it has uh, zero to no gas fees, right? Or fees. So uh, I was just thinking about that and, you know, you, you got to just make sure that you stay open-minded and that you don't get so like tribalistic, I guess, if that's a word, right? Um, because you don't want to miss out on an investment opportunity just because you're thinking one way, you know, you always got to keep an open mind, right? Because I know we get accused a lot of being Bitcoin maxis, but I'm pretty sure we've all talked about this. I thought we were XRP maxis, right? Because <laughs> that's our biggest bags and stuff, but yeah. you know, always keep an open mind. It's funny, Gonzo, because we have been called Bitcoin maxis, but I used to be one of the people criticizing Bitcoin maximalists. We are not Bitcoin maxis. I do not hold much Bitcoin because we're allowed to talk about what we do. And I'm not really even that bullish on Bitcoin. I just understand that Bitcoin leads the market. The big boys are doing tons of accumulation. And for these institutions, it's fun to be buying these prices. Tell we're relatively close to a bottom in my estimate. I'd like to get some comments from Showtime, and then we'll hop into yeah, our Yeah, I think we're bottoming out. I actually expected us to pull back about 42,000. Uh, we pulled back yeah. a little bit further than that. Uh, I'm not really concerned. It, it's so funny. Every single time and you could literally time your watch to it, if anyone has a watch anymore, <laughs> every time the market drops, people, it goes from 48 to 45. Or we're going to 40. It go, hits at 40. We're going to 35. We're yep. going to 25. And then as we are going back up, we're at $900,000 in 30 days. Yep. It's, just, it's, it's so fascinating if you just sit back and observe the psychology of the market, right? Um, you can literally time your watch to what people are going to say. Um, and most of it never comes true. So I look at the fear and greed index. Fear means buy. Okay. Greed. Sell. Very simple. You just words around. You'll look at every day. That's watching the show. I love it. <laughs> Italian blood. That's a great thing. There we go. Yeah. There we go. So we'll hop into our cryptocurrencies for the day. We are sitting at 1.88 trillion in global market cap. Bitcoin sitting at 41% dominance. Ethereum is just below 20%. As Showtime just mentioned, Bitcoin is at $40,800 this morning. Ethereum is just above 3,000. We've got XRP sitting at 71 cents, people. It's amazing that we're still sitting at those price levels. And I'm sure as Showtime knows, we used to call 78 cents the iron wall. So it's interesting to see us below that 78 cent mark, and we'll see what things go. Hey, Ab, you got to share your screen. Yeah. We can't oh. see your number. There. No, there you go. There we go. There we go, there we go guys. So Cardano is at 96 cents. Terra Luna is at $86. AVAX is at 79 bucks. Kronos is 41 cents. And we always cover Stellar. We're still sitting just below 20 cents today. And, of course, we'll cover HBAR, which is just 20 cents as well. So sorry about sharing my screen there, guys. But we do have relatively price action. There's not anything exciting. Nothing's blasting off for taking major dips, but I did see Bitcoin touch under 40,000 and have a quick rebound this morning. So I'll kick it to Johnny Crypto and see if he has any comments. I mean, if you remember when we talked about this uh, at the beginning of the week when we had someone on, we, we said I personally wanted to see uh, a retest after we busted through the, uh, the, the 
30-day and the 50-day moving average on Bitcoin. I was hoping we'd retest around 42 and hold, and we didn't. We went a little lower. But as we showed, we kind of expected that we could see a tail as low as 36, right? And we said, don't panic if you see a tail. It's normal. We kind of, you know, the, the, the way these elites run the show, they're looking to always shake people out. They're looking to... Um, you know, force that leverage and liquidity out of the market so they can buy it cheap and then send it, right? And that's what we saw, hopefully. So right now, she's still sitting around 40. Let's hope that it holds there and we start to turn its tail up. Because I, I know a lot of us, we kind of thought that we'd see a nice bull run in, in March. I'm sorry, in April to May. And I haven't given up on that yet. We'll, we'll see. You know, we got the full moon coming on the 16th. We know these moon cycles have been working pretty, pretty accurately. So uh, I'm kind of getting exciting. I'm excited for this weekend. I ain't going to lie to you. So I hope it doesn't let me down. Me too. And I, I know Gonzo's got a ton of experience on the moon cycle stuff. So I'd like to go to him there. But it's so interesting to see us finding this support at the $38,000 or $39,000 mark. Every time we touch that level, we do get a quick rebound. And we always talk about how institutions were buying at $30,000. So that's why I'm not <laughs> seeing some extent bear market because there's so many large buyers sitting at that twenty dollars to $30,000 range. I think it'll be really difficult to go there. But Gonzo, what do you anticipate going forward up until the 16th? And can you just fill people in? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the full moon is uh, coming up. Uh, I believe it's on the 16th, right? 16th. Or 16th? Yeah. Um, and so, we, you know, that's we're, that's usually our, our microcycle low. Um, so just keeping an eye on it. Like, uh, I think we did some TA on uh, our call where, you know, uh, Bitcoin right now is in this uh, parallel channel, right? And so we kind of hit the bottom of that. So it's just interesting. It held support to see where we go. Um, you know, some people are talking about it's a bear flag. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, I think that April is going to be very volatile, right? As we range up and down in this channel. Uh, so, you know, just kind of keeping an eye on it, taking day by day. You, you know, like we always say, take what the market gives you. And it's like Showtime said, he's still bullish, especially in the long term. But this chart is a good indicator of where we can see ourselves heading long term and the next expected happen takes place in march of 2020 so up at that point we will experience some bullish price action but this chance shows us that we are trending in that hundred thousand dollar direction and i don't think it's too far away but i'd like to kick yeah, it to showtime so, here and see what i his mean just are. to kind of backpedal for just a quick second i do expect this weekend to be hot as well uh, i think you're seeing a lot of tax selling so i fully expect this market to turn around the weekend who knows as far as this is concerned, like I expect a hundred thousand this year, to be totally honest with you. Now I was wrong about the four year cycle. I was going off of that for a while because that's historically what we had seen happen. But we're seeing a lengthening cycle. We're seeing things take a little bit more time. But guys, the more money printed, I mean, this is not going down in the long run. It's going up. I expect a hundred thousand this year, quite personally. Yeah, and I you think know what? Oh, go ahead. You know, it's interesting that you say that. Um you are so right that this market used to be a very predictable cycle driven, you know, every four years kind of market showtime. But what I, I was reading maybe about three months ago, a couple of articles where some whales, crypto whales, were talking about that they used to have control of this market. But they're saying they don't know what they actually have seen because some institutions like Graham have come in. The big boys taking over this market. And it's just no longer the same team. And you're seeing that because they're, they're saying some of the we're, – we're getting head fakes that we haven't seen before. For example, just recently, if you look at the Fear and Greed Index chart that you just had up, Abs, we had a head fake. 
couple days ago. Yeah, right there. So, you know, we got up to 50, but we never made it. Look at the, look at the prior to how high we get up to like the 70 or 80s, right? And here we can't even get past the, that. That's, that's, you, you, when you look at this data, you're actually seeing new, 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 new levels in there that you haven't seen in the past because of the fact that there's different manipulation. The elites know how to play the game way better than the crypto whales do to steal our money. So it's a different game and I think we just have to adjust for it. But at the end of the day, I totally agree with this chart. I think we are headed to 100. I'm not going to predict when. I have no freaking clue. But <laughs> we're, we're definitely getting at some point to 100 because we all know that this is a finite thing, right? There's only going to be 21 of these coins, ever mind, ever. And we know that the elites have fully bought in. Sailor owns a shit ton of this. Uh, the CEO of Apple owns a shit ton. We've got the guy in Mexico. I forgot his name, Apps. He's got a shit ton. People are jumping on the Bitcoin bandwagon, and now terrorists are loading up on it. So at the end of the day, this thing's here to stay. I think it's just going to see, you know, where it's going to go. Well, that's yet to be determined. I don't, I don't see it dropping down to ten thousand or twenty thousand like people think. I, I don't think so. Exactly. And what makes me so confident in you saying that is Terra Luna buying seven thousand Bitcoin over the last twenty days. So they went from thirty-five thousand to forty-two thousand in the last twenty days. I mean, they must see some sort of a local bottom here. And I think a lot of institutions would agree that this is a bullish market. A lot of people are worried that we're going to go down to that $13,000 below the $20,000 range. And I think it's really going to be really, really difficult. I'm going to go straight to Showtime here and just give you the floor to comment there. Oh, oh you're muted, muted, Showtime. Muted. My bad. Sorry. No, I was going to say, it's so funny. I've been in crypto for a couple of years and every time it drops, they give these outrageous predictions just like every time it goes up there's these outrageous predictions no i mean look what johnny crypto just said right there's bigger players in this game right these guys don't lose they won't lose exactly. so that's why you want to fade the people who don't lose um can it drop to levels that surprise us of course, of course. can it go to levels that will surprise us absolutely but this market is far more controlled and the fact that we didn't follow the four-year cycle his theory for the very first time I think shows that, but I don't see us going to some crazy low level like that. Yeah. What's exciting here, Abs, when you look at this is you've got an elite company here who decide or a ton of money, right? 1.6 billion. They had to make a decision on when they were going to buy. And when did they buy it? They bought it around what? 37, 38, 39. It goes to show you that's probably close to where we know Sailor bought his at 30. And that was 125,000 Bitcoins. And then he bought another 4,000 around 37, 38. So you can see, guys, mm -hmm. uh, we've been saying this all along. Don't do what the elites say. Do what they do. And what are they doing? They're buying Bitcoin at 30 and 38. So that and just to add to that, Johnny, yeah. Tesla is the same thing. Tesla bought $43,000 43, Bitcoin at, th at $30,000. So, 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 so yeah. you know, you kind of know where the floor is unless those yep. guys decide they're going to be. If Sailor and Elon all of a sudden decide, that they no longer think Bitcoin is the answer, then we're screwed because they're gonna they're gonna dump it right and and then or at some point they'll dump it when it gets high enough. But these guys are not in the money or in the market for one or two x guys. That's not how the elites work. Yeah, I, I don't think Michael Saylor is ever selling his Bitcoin. I don't I think think he so stated either. that, and, it. and it just goes to show that it's you know maturing as an asset. And um, what we're talking about is these guys have a super long time horizon. They're not yep. worried about the day to day or what Bitcoin's going to do in the next year. They're looking at way in the future. And so when these guys buy, uh, like Michael Saylor, he's not selling and they have a super long time horizon. And so it's something to pay attention to and something to follow. But yeah, Bitcoin is definitely maturing as an asset. And so I agree with Showtime. Like, 
can we go down? Like if there's a catastrophic event that happens in the world that could, you know, we get a candle that reaches down that anything's possible in the matrix. Right. But for the most part, it would get gobbled up, not only by institutions, but by the retail investors. Right. Right. I completely agree. And I'm going to shift gears here, but I do want to say that a lot of these big billionaires, these, these hedge funds, what they're doing is they're taking long-term price targets. They're saying $500,000. And then you read into the article and they say by 2030. So they're not actually making bold claims, but they are bullish in the long-term as we are. So I'm going to shift gears here and we're going to get into some SEC emails. The SEC emails highlighted, oh, sorry. Um, Mario's not here, so I'm also running the camera today, guys, just for anyone who's wondering. But the SEC emails highlighted alleged conflict of interest set to take center stage in the Ripple trial. This was a very, very interesting article. So we're going to spend a lot of time here breaking down exactly what took place over the last three or four years and how it's affecting the Ripple case now. So days after hundreds of emails between the SEC's top officials were released, a judge has ruled that the regulator cannot edit or clarify the contents for the upcoming Ripple trial. So what that means is that all of these emails are going to be fair game. There's going to be unedited emails that are going to be used in court against the SEC, which is very interesting. The contents of the emails could prove crucial if they can prove the SEC acted inconsistently by accusing Ripple Labs executives of issuing securities as they were allowing other cryptocurrencies to operate. So William Hinman, who is the center of this whole dispute, served as the director of the SEC's Division of Corporate Finance from May of 2017 to December of 2020. Prior to being at the SEC, Hinman worked at Simpson & Thatcher, which is a law firm that promotes Ethereum. So it's dedicated to promoting the commercial use of Ethereum within that, within that law firm specifically. The agency ethics official at the SEC told Hinman he's not allowed to communicate with anyone at Simpson & Thatcher, and Hinman disregarded those claims and met with Simpson & Thatcher several times anyways. So the former SEC director also met with the co-founders and investors of Ethereum ahead of a speech he gave in 2018, claiming that Ethereum was a token and not a security. So this is all very interesting stuff. I'm going to kick it around the group and I'm going to continue here. If the Ripple Labs team can prove that the leaders of the SEC had an interest in promoting Ethereum over similar tokens, aka XRP, it could lead to a win, some speculate. So what's really interesting here is that Hinman was working in an Ethereum-based company before he came into the SEC. Then the SEC said, you're not allowed to communicate with that company anymore. He disregarded those warnings, continued to communicate and promote Ethereum. Then after he retired at the SEC, went back to Simpson & Thatcher, which is the exact same law firm that he spent the entire time promoting Ethereum on. So very big conflict of interest here. It's pretty obvious. I have no experience in litigation. And even me just reading this article, it looks brutal. It looks sketchy and it looks great for Ripple. So I'm going to kick it to Showtime here and get some comments. What are your thoughts on William Hinman acting sketchy and being very dishonest throughout this whole process? Well, part of me is wondering how much the SEC actually knew about this, right? Because I'm wondering if the SEC really had full knowledge of what this guy was doing, would they have went to war with Ripple, right? I mean, SEC is like Drago walking him, but they didn't know they were about to fight Rocky, right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, what you're, what you're seeing here is – you're seeing a situation where neither party wants to lose. And I, I actually really appreciate the fact that Netburn's been so fair in this. And uh, she, she, you know, seems to understand crypto. I think better than a lot of judges do. She's still learning, you know, but she's not like somebody that just thinks it's some tech that, you know, she doesn't understand and uh, is just going to go for the SEC. She's been very fair. And I think, quite frankly, um, the SEC doesn't want to go to court. That's just my personal opinion. I think they've been scratching and clawing and fighting to try to 
uh, pin Ripple into a corner. I just think every time they give a jab, just Ripple comes out of the corner and just knocks him out. So quite personally, you know, you're either going to see this go the full way and SEC is going to lose and it's going to set the stage for the rest of the space or they're going to throw this guy underneath the bus some way, somehow, and they're going to pin it on him and say, oh, it's him. We didn't really know what was going on with this guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, if you've ever needed a smoking gun, look at this guy. This guy broke every call the call the cops, call the FBI. This guy's breaking rules everywhere over here. <laughs> and it's unfortunate that, you know, you don't get to arrest people for ethics violations. I don't even know why we have ethics committees because he violated every single one of them, completely embarrassing himself and breaking every rule possible. If I were the SEC, I'd be like, holy shit, let's settle this thing quickly because we're screwed. And the fact that, that the judge just passed this ruling down really, I think, is another setback to them, Showtime, as you just said. In the SEC, I've never seen them take so many setbacks and keep this damn thing going. So sooner or later, you know, you got to imagine if you're the SEC, you're sitting there like, hey, you know what? If we can settle and get a couple billion dollars out of these guys and at the same time pass some regulation, that's ultimately going to be a win. I think that's where we're headed, Showtime, at the end of the day. But things like this just do not help the SEC at all. It's just, it's just, they're just digging themselves. Whether they knew it or not, it isn't going to matter. In the court of law, they're going to be like, look, yo, you worked here. You let Ethereum go free. You said XRP was a security, and now you're going after them. SEC's in a lot of trouble here, in my opinion. I'd love to kick it to Gonzo yeah. next, but I do want to comment really quick and say, I didn't even know it was legal for a Simpson and Thatcher employee to work there beforehand, go to the SEC, and then go back into that company directly after his his role at the SEC. It makes no sense to me. We'll kick it to Gonzo here. Yeah. yeah. You know, I thought, uh, I think Showtime brings up a good point as far as um, how much the SEC knew, right? As far as um, Samson and, and Thatcher and their connection to the uh, Ethereum Enterprise Alliance, right? Because I, I think common sense would say that if they knew how deep it went, they probably wouldn't even have let him do that speech, right? Let alone mention anything about Ethereum because of the huge yeah. conflict of interest, right? And so it, it looks really, really bad. Um, and, but it just, but for us, it kind of, it's nothing new, right? Coach O says nothing new under the sun. We understand um, that people are corrupt, right? And so you can see the corruption here. Uh, I, I remember reading somewhere that I think they paid him $15 million, right? Before he left, he went to work at the SEC, right? And then on the way out, he throws the lawsuit, makes the comment, hey, Ethereum's not um, a security. And then he goes back to work for them, right? Even though now that we see the emails, that they told them, hey, it's a conflict of interest. Do not meet with them, right? Now, the article mentions, because, you know, there is a difference between the Enterprise Alliance and the Ethereum Foundation. I know the article mentions that um, that he met with the co-founders and the um, investors. So, you know, we can infer a lot of things, but we don't know if that had to do with getting information on the speech or was there something shady going on, right? But in the end, the way we need to look at this is how is this going to affect the ripple case, right? Um, in the end, that's going to be the question that's going to be answered as bad as this looks. Um, how does it relate to the question of is ripple or is XRP a security, right? Um, but I do think that they can make a pretty big argument as far as making the sec look bad um, and forcing a settlement, right? Cause ultimately ripples a business and we can't forget that. I know we talk a lot about, how um, or people look at this lawsuit as, hey, it's going to save crypto or it's going to give us clarity or, you know, we might get a new Howie test. 
but we can't forget that Ripple is a company and that this lawsuit is hurting their business and they're going to do what's best for Ripple, not what's best for crypto, if that makes sense. Yep. And so um, I could definitely see a, a settlement happening, right? As long as, you know, XRP gets its clarity, that's what Ripple's worried about or, or concerned about, not with the rest of crypto. And we have a really interesting comment here where it says, could Gary Gensler have agreed on the court filing with Jay to expose them? Is Gary a good guy? I'm going to go to Showtime here. I know what my answer is, but floor is yours. No, Gary's not a good guy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've often wondered whether Jay might have been the good guy. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but, you know, filing this case with all of this, I mean, you know, he might not be the brightest guy, but he's not an idiot. Like, you can't tell me that he didn't know about some of this corruption. So the fact that he filed this case and just walked away. Right after that and where he goes back to work and where and what's going on with him. And I'm, you know, so part of me wondered whether he did this because he knew the SEC could never really beat Ripple. Right now, whether that's true, time will tell. Probably not. But no, I don't believe Gary's a good guy. And, you know, quite frankly, it's very interesting because you see the SEC from their position. They're battling to regulate crypto. The CFTC has battled to regulate crypto. These two agencies don't really like each other. Right. So the SEC cannot lose this they really cannot so but frankly i don't see them going the length because if they do i don't see any way in which they win yeah i'm with you go ahead johnny totally agree with you there showtime at the end of the day i agree with you on gary i think he's just a puppet who was put there you know playing his role doing what he's supposed to do and at the end of the day this case nothing smells right about it from the beginning if you wanted to really go after and regulate the industry you do it against ethereum ethereum was the the mother hen at that point where it was clearly obvious what they did was violating security rules. You'd go after them and you'd set the stage, right? But instead they get a free pass and you come after Ripple, which is very interesting to say the least. And then you've got all these smoking guns behind here that are going to hurt your case. You can see the SEC is just in delay mode, delay, delay, delay until I think the elites are ready to, as abs likes to say, switch the flip. And once they're ready, (laughs) once they're ready to, uh, to do that, then we'll actually, we'll, We'll get some regulation clarity, and then we'll be able to move forward in this market. And frankly, to be honest with you, I can't wait for it. I am dying. Everybody's scared of regulation. Don't be scared, folks. Be happy and pray for it because the sooner it comes and the sooner the rule book is out there Mm -hmm. so the elites and the institutions know how to play, the sooner the money is going to flood into this thing. And when the money floods into this thing, then – you're gonna, you're gonna, <laughs> your your portfolios are gonna be flying high, right? And that's what we're all waiting for. So remember, five percent. I say it every day. Five percent of the globe is investing in crypto. That's it, folks. If you're in it and you're in it now, you are you are the uncommon five percent. Be happy about that because when those other ninety five percent of sheep start flooding into this market, uh, you stand. But you know, and again, not financial advice. We're not financial advisors, but I can't see how a high tide isn't going to raise all boats here. So just get excited, have your boat ready to go. And if you guys are enjoying this content, please show us some love and smash that like button. And you know, all the links are linked down below. So if you want to follow Showtime on Twitter or YouTube, both of the links are down below and we'll continue to pop those up throughout the program. But I do want to read one last quote from this article where it said the team at Empowerment Oversight agrees that the nonprofit filed a lawsuit against the SEC in December of 2021, but it wasn't only against William Hinman. It was against the former head of the SEC Enforcement Division as well, Mark Berger, who went back to work at Simpson and Thatcher. So both Hinman and Mark finished their time at the SEC and went back to the Simpson and Thatcher law firm, which is promoting Ethereum the entire time. So 
We'll close it off there, and we're going to switch gears here to a little bit of Node Talk since we have the expert himself on the program today. We have some updates from a project called Atlas. It says that we, we are hearing that Atlas has had a large portion of the developers resign. We want to assure our community that they will be removed, removed from Flux Labs, and all members will be blocked from working within the project in the future. I just want to take this moment to talk about what we can look for in node projects to avoid this type of a situation where we have a leadership team that isn't fully committed and uses something like this as an opportunity for a cash grab, which is one of the most biggest risks within the market right now. So I'm just going to give you the floor and then we'll all, we'll all comment afterwards. Showtime. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot about the 80, 20 rule Pareto's principle. If you don't know what that is, Google search the 80, 20 rule it will change your life. When I invest in projects, the 80-20 of all things is really people, right? You can have the world's greatest project worth with terrible people behind it. And the people are what's going to sustain that project because, you know, with a great project, bad people, they're going to mismanage it. So it also ultimately comes down to people. you got to have a good project, but you've got to have the people in place first. So when you have the people in place or not in place in the instance of Atlas, um, you're going to see very different outcomes. You know, I, not to promote specific projects, but you see things like, you know, I know Strongblock is going through their pains. The team behind Strongblock is stellar, right? The team behind Phoenix is stellar. The team behind Atlas didn't look so much. Looks like they more or less just got, I don't know, if the, if the accusations are true, and I don't know how true they are, the accusations are stating that they misused funds and didn't really care about the project. It got up and going. It kind of just didn't really want to do it anymore. Um, that's why you got to have people that literally want to change the world. And if you do have that in place, the project just by default will do well. Yeah, and I, that's think what you, I think you nailed it spot on, Showtime. At the end of the day, when you get into these projects, at the end of the day, you're investing in people. That's just There's no, there's no other way around it at the end of the day. And so... The tricky part is how do you know these people and is it worth investing in, right? That's the question I get asked. How do you know, Johnny? And so, you know, the only, the only thing you can really do is you have to go back and do some digging into who these people are. And more importantly, what I look for Showtime is their track record. Do they have a track record? Have they done something in the past to take something, you know, a business, for example, and turn it into a successful business or not. And I remember when I listened to the very first AMA from Atlas, I should have known right then and there to run. But like an idiot, I kind of, it's, ah, I'll roll the dice. I got it for 50 bucks. I got the presa. I'll roll it. But when I listened to those guys, it was four guys in a garage, basically, and, and talking more about how they were sick than about the project. They, they were just so unprofessional. It just didn't feel right. And, and that's why I probably didn't go as heavy as I did with strong. Whereas with the strong team, that's a solid team. When you listen to those guys and you see the work and the effort and the time they're putting in, I truly believe strong, for example, or stronger now is trying to do a paradigm shift and change uh, nodes into, you know, paying nodes, right. Or, or, or pay to use kind of nodes. I really believe they're trying to make that paradigm shift and it's going to be hard. I don't know if they can do it, but they're going to try. But with Atlas, you could see these guys, these guys are four guys that hit it big and they took the money and ran and it's sad. And there's going to be a lot more of that until we get regulation, some clarity and some people going to jail. Right now, this market is wild, wild west and it's going to be prime to get your money stolen from you because a lot of these things are just Ponzi-nomics. So good, good point there, Showtime. Look for the team. Check the track record. If you can't find any information on them, the advice right now is you're probably better off staying away. 
And what I do want to make a comment before we go back to Showtime is that was one of the things that caught my eye about the Phoenix project was I knew Showtime. I knew Jordan Harry. I looked into some of the ba- the founders and the creators of the project and they seem like trustworthy individuals. And I don't believe that people would attach their name to something at, in that specific group that they didn't believe was going to be successful. So that was one of the most important things that I could come to in my own mind is that I could trust this group of people to not only not have a rug pull, but actually create something sustainable long-term because we all want sustainability in this market. And yeah, it's great to make three or four months of great money, but what we're really looking for is 24, 36, uh, five years of sustainable income. That way we can provide freedom for our families and have additional exposure to the market besides actually just holding crypto assets. So I'll give you the floor. Yeah, I I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I, I always tell people, look, don't buy something because I'm in it. Don't buy something because I happen to mention it. Buy it because you understand what it is. You know what you hold. I could wake you up out of a dead sleep and say, quick, what is Phoenix? And you can give me a quick answer. That's how you know. You know what you hold, right? But yeah, going back to the people thing, you know, um, it's one of those things where, you know, I was the very first interaction with Eric and Lou from Phoenix. I was on, they, they came on camera with me. First and last names, they said, this is where we live. Hey, this is our families, right? This is where we work. This is what we're doing. I mean, that already was unusual. I mean, there's still projects in this space where we don't know who the heck's running them. I mean, to be honest with you. And and to be very fair, there's some people in the project you really don't need to know, right? But there's projects that are built by founders that we have no clue who the founders are. Now, yep. does that stop them from doing something? It doesn't stop them from doing something. But what I'm trying to say is in this space, because it's, re- it's, it's unregulated, anybody, even if they're docs, can do whatever they want. But let me tell you something. Someone's not going to come on camera to me who is, you know, I'm not saying I'm this big, high and mighty person, but I have a following and show their faces and their families and all those kinds of stuff and the rug pull people. Right. Um, anything can happen in this space. But at the end of the day, like this is all kind of a risk. Uh, what's the alternative? Holding cash? <laughs> Not a good I'll one. pass. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just want to say at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I, you know, I think Showtime brings up a very good point um, when it comes to like, and then Johnny mentioned this about the AMAs or when people come on to um, shows like this or Showtime show and show their faces, um, you get to actually see the person and you can almost like sense uh, the passion that they have. And, you know, you can kind of see, I, I feel like sometimes you can feel what their intentions are, right? There are no mm-hmm. 100% guarantees, but he's right. Sure. It's totally different to have like a, a picture of a monkey with a fake name and you're text threading about a project than it is answering questions and you're seeing the person and looking into their eyes. So there's something to be mm-hmm. said about that. Uh, and with, with uh, Phoenix, uh, especially when I was hearing uh, Jordan talk about it, you can see the passion um, that, he, that he has when he talks about the project. And especially when they're talking about what they're trying to build and trying to help people. And it and comes the through. Difference, the difference about Phoenix is, you know, you've got, you've got these node companies right now, what they're doing in a nutshell is they're raising money, right. Through a Ponzi scheme, paying all this, and then taking that money and trying to turn it into a business. Well, what I, what I kind of like about Phoenix and Showtime, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about it, but sure. from what I understand when Jordan was explaining it is they want to take that money and invest it in actual companies Right. And then those companies will pay in and fund the rewards pool. So the rewards pool right now, the way it works is it just gets funded from other people buying nodes. 
So what happens there, folks, is when people stop buying notes, the money runs out, the music ends, and and, and whoever doesn't have a chair, it's like musical chairs. You're going to lose your money, right? So the difference here is Phoenix is trying to, from what I understand correctly, Showtime, is create an income stream through other businesses and then drive that back in as a rewards, you know, to, to all the investors. Is, did I understand that correctly? Yeah, I've gone through different phases of what I'm calling them. I used to call them investment as a service. It's almost VC as a service, to be completely honest with you. You take these guys from Shark Tank. These guys are already wealthy, but you know, they're getting wealthier because they're building businesses. Those businesses become so profitable that it becomes the ultimate leverage, right? You see a lot of these projects in the node. I'm going to use air quotes in the node space. Many of them are not even nodes, um, where you have a finite set of tokens with this circular reward system that can only go for so long it cannot go forever so um when the music stops what happens and i think a lot of these projects are now realizing oh we can't go forever right so you might be able to theoretically go to let's say three million nests or three million nodes or whatever you want to call them why would you go that far you can cap it much earlier and make it far more sustainable now we have to also understand that businesses take time businesses don't explode to a hundred million dollars overnight like tokens do okay that's what makes crypto more front-loaded you get your profits early on and then it can start to dwindle if you get a lot of these uh, you know scammy sort of projects but businesses not only are they far more sustainable for so much longer they do take time so we now have to switch to being a little bit more patient and that's where you cap the number of nests you have these businesses that you've invested in like a vc firm does that then funnels profits back to people who provided that original funding. So it's a far more sustainable system. So right. I do want to switch gears a little bit here and go into a freeway conversation because as I'm, as I'm cashing out of a lot of my profit and I'm turning it into Tether, let's say, I'd love to be able to find a liquid staking opportunity where I can be earning. And I'm not sure if freeway is liquid, but I would love for it to be liquid and find a way that I could be earning almost zero risk on a lot of that income. Can you speak to that a little bit and maybe – uh, inform me on what freeway does and is it sustainable? Is it, is it a passive income opportunity for us? Absolutely. In my opinion, I don't give financial advice, but I can tell you what I'm doing. So I look yep. at my money in two different ways, risk on risk off risk on is something like strong block XRP. Oh, it's not really passive income, uh, Phoenix. Um, and obviously you pick the lowest risk ones in that category, but that's more of a risk on because to fluctuate an asset and go up, go down and you're trying to get your ROI out and you're playing that whole game. Once you get your profits out from the other side, you can take your profits and go back into the risk on, or you can, what I call retire off where you put it in something like a stable coin and then earn that yield on the stable coin. So I look at freeway as that best option. So they do a lot of, um, quant trading on the Forex market. Quant trading is yep. Hundreds of trades happening every minute. So there, people say, well, how can they pay 43%? That's not sustainable. They actually make three times more than that. So their profit is 300% higher than that. Now, they are being audited. Uh, quant trading audits take a long time to come out because there's so many trades going on. Um, we'll be able to confirm all that. But, you know, they're going to be a prime regulated brokerage in the EU as well as the United States this summer. You look at what just wow. happened with Celsius. Celsius, now you got to be an accredited investor to even earn the yield that they're offering. That's not going to be the case with Freeway. 
You know, that's why I look at something like the freeway token and I'm like, okay, you got to hold five, probably more like 10% in this freeway token. When people see that this is a brokerage with the consumer protection laws in the blockchain space and you can earn 40 to 50% on my stable coin, like why would I not go there and why would I not hold 10% in their freeway token, right? A hundred percent. And the reason I brought it up is because we had somebody ask us yesterday, they were looking for a sustainable way that they could find something very low risk, but still get that 30, 40, 50%. And what you're saying is that freeway is an opportunity to do so. And they're going to require you to hold their native token to take advantage of that opportunity. So you're going to see a lot of bullish price action in the token as more and more users flood in, correct? Absolutely. And they're doing things. They're creating their own blockchain. And this, I know this is a popular thing now. Oh, we're creating our own blockchain. They were talking about this months ago before it was popular to say you were maybe building your own blockchain. The freeway token will be the native token on that blockchain. They're going to have debit cards. They're going to have some banking system and a direct fiat on-ramp right into the freeway system. Okay. Wow. Um, there's going to be some sort of node validator uh, protocol mechanism as well. Uh, not a lot of details on that. I just see what these guys are doing. They're building and building and building. And by the way, they've been working with FINRA and the regulators for like four years. So this is not like they just arrived on the scene and here they are. Yep. They've been at this for a long time, but it's kind of like the best kept secret, quite frankly. It really isn't to see them working with regulators like that is what makes me so bullish. And one of the reasons I've been doing so much research on this product is because there's not many similar products in the market. I'm not sure there's a similar product that can give you 40% almost zero risk on your tether. But what I did have a question is, am I able to put my Bitcoin and Ethereum and other holdings in there and get similar rewards paid out in their native token? Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, USD Tether, USD Coin, as well as Paxos Gold. So you can mm. earn 21.5% on your gold as well. Wow. Yeah. And um, they just changed their branding on the website. They were Obit, their freeway. Um, they changed the tokenomics a little bit. So now you actually earn a separate yield just on the freeway token. Currently, it's 15 to 30% somewhere in that range. Yep. That pays out back into your stable coin, which then adds to the 40%. So it's a circular kind of thing. But the bottom line is what makes them different than a lot of these other platforms. These other platforms are lending out your crypto, right? Yep. There's obviously something with the SEC they do not like with that. I don't know exactly what it is, but they don't like it. Freeway does not lend your money out. It's underwrite, wrote, underwritten against, and then they use that to trade. But they cannot touch your funds. Your funds are in your account with your name segregated. They're not legally allowed to touch your funds. So even if they went under... Your funds are there. You take your funds out. So I think it's a completely different model that you're going to see a lot of these other platforms when Freeway shows up on the scene and they're a regulated prime broker house. You're going to be like, wow, we need to copy what these guys are doing. But I think it's going to be a little too late at that point. Yeah, it sounds like it's a very interesting thing. Obviously, very high. First, I just want to uh, give a shout out to our brother, the Node Defender. He really wanted to be here today and unfortunately had a family event and couldn't make it. So Mario, we know we're out there. We love you. We wish you could be with us. You're here in spirit for sure. Uh, but yeah, he brought this to my attention actually, which is funny showtime because I guess I think he had heard it from you and it seems very exciting. And, and certainly we're going to be checking into it. Anything that pays 43% is going to grab your attention, especially if it's risk-free. Right. But I, I am, I am happy to hear you say they're auditing it. Do you have a time frame on when that audit might be coming? Any idea? I don't know. I will find that out. But there's been some delays just because, like I say, getting an audit for quant trading is quite a challenge. I mean, you're talking maybe thousands of trades a minute. Yeah. Right. Potentially something in that range. So that audit's going to be not just lengthy, but it's going to take some time. Um, I don't want to say at the end of this month, so I'm not going to say at the end of this month. But <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're 
There's been a slight delay, so I expect it really any day, to be completely honest with you. Okay, but so it's not years away. It's within no, no, the month. No. Or we're, we're, we're the, all right, good. I'll wait I'll wait for the audit then. Thanks, yeah. thanks for the heads up. That's Excellent. good enough. Awesome. So I'm sure that, everyone that's found why, that uh, helpful. That's why this show is so awesome, though. Like, like shout out to Showtime for you know talking about the project and filling in the audience. So please smash that like button, right? Because like what, what he just gave us, is like a gem, you know, always do your own research. I know I'm going to start doing my own research. I know Mario talked about it on our call yesterday, but it's just awesome um, that we're able to share that with the audience and then, you know, do your own research because it sounds like a pretty legit project. And we're only going to bring our listeners stuff that we think is great or we are currently participating in in freeway, something that I'm going to be starting to participate in, especially after that breakdown from Showtime. I don't see, I have a bunch of tether that I've accumulated through these node projects. And right now I'm not earning anything on that tether. It's just sitting there, which is the dumbest thing I could be doing. So it's something that I need to start changing in my own personal life. Showtime, do you have any closing comments or are we good to hop into our next article? Let's move on. Perfect. So our next article is going to be centered around Meta. As Meta plans to take nearly 50% cut of all virtual assets that, that are sold in their Metaverse. So the 47.5% figure includes a hardware platform fee of 30% for sales made on the MetaQuest store. And then they will add another 17.5% fee on top of that for participating in the Meta Horizon. So what I found so interesting about this article was not only that they're going to take 47.5% from their loyal participants, but that you can participate on other exchanges like OpenSea and LooksRare, and they're only going to charge you 2 to 2.5% 2 to sell your NFT on that platform. So I found that very interesting. But there's really something that stuck out to me, which was Mark Zuckerberg Set, was criticizing Apple. Sorry, I'm getting a little background noise. Um, Mark Zuckerberg was criticizing Apple for charging their users 30% on transactions using their network. And then they come out with theirs and it's 47.5%. So I thought that was really just comical, honestly. I'll kick it to Showtime here and get some comments. What's so funny, uh, the reason he's criticizing is because he couldn't charge him, right? So you see a lot of these, it kind of reminds me of when PayPal came out and introduced crypto and you couldn't even hold it. Like you didn't even, couldn't even put it in your own wallet, right? So a lot of these companies that are coming out with cryptocurrency and they're using the kind of popularity of crypto and the popularity of the metaverse and things like that to capitalize on it. But the killing unit fees, they don't allow you to hold your own um, property, you know, so to speak. So um, it, it's bringing crypto to the masses. So it's introducing them to it, which is a good thing, but it's not really giving them the full rights to it in a lot of ways that I see. And it's, inter it's interesting to see that they're taking a centralized approach, right? They want to take a lot of that liquidity on their platform and suck it back in their direction so that they can use it to their own advantage. I'll go to Johnny here. Of course. Of course. It's, it's hypocrisy at the highest level. Again, I mean, first of all, do you, explain, do you expect anything different from a guy? Look at this clown over here with Zuck Bucks with his, with his face all over the money. You know, this guy wants money everywhere. He, you knew that when he created Meta and changed the whole company, it was all going to be about how do you suck as much profits from a from from a let's say the next maybe largest economy we're ever going to have in our world right the metaverse the future economy there's no doubt about it he wants to have his hand in the cookie jar and so he and credit to him that he saw this coming way ahead of time right at the end of the day um, but you know no surprise here that he's basically um, <laughs> criticizing one guy then doing the other it's it's just again the hypocrisy is just off the charts. My thing is, why would anybody be using this platform when I can go to OpenSea and sell my NFT for a 2.5% rate? What are your thoughts, Gonzo? Yeah, you know, everybody kind of already touched on it, the hypocrisy of it. But um, I, I think you can use it as a good example of seeing what centralized looks like, right? What 
um, he's doing so that he can make money for himself. And then now you can compare it to something that's decentralized, right? Um, but I, I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. Um, like like you guys said, the hypocrisy of, you know, last year he's talking smack about Apple and what they charge, and then he's going to one-up them, right? So <laughs> it just goes to the character of Priceless. the person, right? If there's one thing we know, it's that we can trust Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, not only with our information, <laughs> but with our money. So I'm going to be, I'm just kidding. These guys are terrible. And right. honestly, I'm not going to be participating in any platforms like this. Any platform that takes a centralized approach is one that I'm going to be avoiding because the whole reason I got into, into crypto, and we're going to talk about this in our next article, is to get away from a lot of the corruption and nefarious activity that takes place in these tech companies and governments. I'd like to kick it to Showtime and get some more thoughts. Yeah, you know, look, uh, the beauty of cryptocurrencies is decentralized, right? It's independent freedom financially. You become your own bank. You avoid the banking system. And you got people buying homes. They don't even have to go get a mortgage in a lot of instances, right? That, yep. you know, unless you were super wealthy in the past, never possible. So um, when I look at something like this, it's maybe a nice introduction into crypto, but remember, these people are centralized. These people don't follow the decentralized, you know, rules like we, you know, want to uh, promote because it promotes that independent, you know, freedom financially. So, you know, just be aware that when you see a big company like this promoting crypto, it's often time for their own good. Exactly. And Gonzo, I know that you got a ton of experience with Ethereum specifically. So do you think that as Ethereum shifts into a 2.0 setting and there's not much gas fees to complain about and there's not much, you know, transaction time between payments, do you think that more people are going to be shifting away from centralized uh, platforms like this and into that Ethereum DeFi network? Um, I think so. Um, but I mean, that it's funny that you that you say that, Abs, because, um, you know, with the merge going from proof of stake uh, I'm sorry, going to proof of work to proof of stake. Um, the upgrade or the merge is actually to the um, consensus layer of Ethereum. So actually, and that's, I misspoke about this previously too, thinking that gas fees were going to get reduced and they're really not like the gas fees get saved using the layer two solutions. Um, but I think that what Ethereum is doing, building that whole ecosystem, um, you know, they have the first person advantage. They have all the developers. Um, I think once they finish the merge, and then you get all that attention that's going to move on to the next upgrade. Because this proof of stake um, upgrade is just one of, of, of many that are to come, right? The next one that's coming is the sharding. And so I think once they get into sharding is when uh, we might see like a, a reduction in gas fees in Ethereum. But um, yeah, definitely. Hey, God, so I hear a lot of people saying what is sharding. You want to explain a little bit more what sharding is? Uh, I mean, the whole I, I'm not an expert in the technicals of it, but I think it's um, like basically sectioning off the blockchain um, to do more transactions. Right. Okay. Um, Very. So, yeah, cool. I, I'm, I'm not a developer, or, or but that, that's basically kind of it's just so that it, it could um, separate it and then have more transactions. That's awesome. And um, we're going to hop into our next comment here where it's BlackRock CEO says they're seeing increasing interest from clients wanting exposure to crypto markets. I just want to go to Showtime real quick and get some thoughts. BlackRock and many other institutions and CEOs have come out and publicly promoted not only Bitcoin, but many of the other altcoins such as Avalanche, Polkadot, Solana over the past couple months. What are some of your thoughts on the big boys being publicly okay with adopting these currencies and saying that they're going to be promoting them in the future? Well, it's like Johnny Crypto said earlier. Everybody is so scared of regulations, regulation. And, and I get it because they look at what the traditional finance world is. They see how the little guy can't win and the big boys win. So they're scared when they hear regulations in crypto. 
guys, you're early. That's the difference. You're early. You're not coming after the fact. You're com- you're here now. Regulations, in a way, is sort of what you want because these big institutions, they might be kind of dabbling in this. They're not going all in until there's regulations, right? So the way I look at it is, you know, people say, well, you know, this is the NWO, right? Yeah. But I'm like, well, that's pretty much a guarantee to get rich then. <laughs> you know, not financial advice here, but, you know, look at what these people are talking about. You know, they want to pump their own backs, right? So look at what these people are talking about. Look at what these people are interested in and just fade them. You know, in business, I learned just do what people before you did who were successful. So just in this case, try to have that vision to look forward to what's going to happen. And then look at these institutions that are the elites. Look at what they're talking about. Look at what they're doing. We were talking about Michael Saylor earlier, who's buying Bitcoin at certain levels. Look at what these people are doing and just do what they do. Exactly. And that's a perfect segue into our, I'm going to kick it right to you, Gonzo, but I just want to get to this article where Shark Tank star Kevin O'Leary reveals his crypto portfolio allocation and says Bitcoin's never going to zero. But what ties into what we just showed there is that he has a $300,000 price target for Bitcoin. And he says that will not happen until there's regulation so that institutions can move into Bitcoin with some form of clarity. Gonzo, the floor is yours. Yeah, no, I mean, he, What's funny is that he stated things that like we already know because we've been in the space that we know that Bitcoin's not going to zero, right? That cryptocurrency is not going anywhere. Um, and uh, do I believe that Bitcoin has the ability to go to 300,000? Yeah, at some point I do, right? I- I'm not going to do a price prediction like it's going to happen um, you know, next year or whatever, but I think it has that potential, especially when we get that clarity or regulation and you get that real big institutional money that comes in. Um, that's when we'll really get that price appreciation. Um, I thought was really interesting is the, you know, the other cryptos that he's in, um, that he's invested in, right? Um, of course, they're like layer ones, right? And then the one layer two, which is Polygon, because we were just talking about Ethereum and scaling solutions, right? Um, and I thought the other cool one was HBAR, right? Because we know about the decentralized governance council that they have. And um, I know that a lot of people in the academy are real bullish on HBAR. Just to add to what you're saying, uh, what Gonzo is referencing now is that he, Kevin O'Leary revealed a lot of the assets he has exposure to as well. And he said 20 of his portfo- 20% of his portfolio is compromised of Ethereum, Solana, HBAR, Polygon, and AVAX. So many of the tokens that we talk about every day on our channel, I'd like to go to Showtime here. Are you an advocate of any of these currencies? And what are your thoughts on O'Leary picking these five? Absolutely. I mean, none of us own enough HBAR, by the way. I don't care how much you own, you don't own enough, right? I would say um, the same thing with Avalanche as well. I'm a big Avalanche uh, guy. I, I think Avalanche is a four-digit token, you know, quite personally at some point. Um, HBAR is up there. I, I think it hits $10 at some point for sure. This is my own personal opinion, and that could be years down the road. But, yeah, I mean, these don't surprise me. I mean, remember when he was calling crypto a scam, right? Oh, it's not backed by anything. And I was just talking to um, my wife who talked to someone in her family, and I said, hey, you know, what does your husband do? She starts going into crypto. This person's a, a financial advisor. Like, oh, yeah, you know, not buying crypto four or five years ago, the biggest mistake I ever made. Because at that point, she's trying to say she didn't understand. She didn't think it was backed by anything. It was just funny money. Everybody, it would not surprise me if Kevin O'Leary were buying it when he was calling it a scam, right? Because that's what these people do. So with these particular ones, no, I, none of these surprise me. And I'm sure there's probably many that he didn't even mention. Yeah, he said yeah. he holds 32 currencies in total, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll go to Johnny Crypto here. 
you know, at the get at the end of the day, like we've been saying, you do what the elites do, not what they say. Now you've got insights to exactly what they're buying. I'm happy to say that we've been talking about these and buying a lot of these, right? Um, and but you know, Michael Saylor said something I thought was really important the other day. Many years ago, he wasn't a believer in this technology either until he took the time to understand it. And what happens with technology, and I know because I'm in it, and only because I'm in it, I get to understand it pretty easily. But if you don't understand it, most people, you know, I mean, let's face it, what does coach say? People have what? Five second tension span. That's it. <laughs> five freaking seconds. There ain't no goddamn way you're learning crypto in five fucking seconds. Okay. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I think you saw a lot of the elites and a lot of people early on didn't even want to get near it because nobody was getting near it. Nobody wanted to spend the time to get now. Who got in it? All the techie people, the nerdy people. And that's why they made a shit ton of money and they got in it early. Right. And now the elites, who are starting to spend the time and research are starting to realize like, oh, hmm, yeah, now I understand how this works. And oh, shit, this actually does make sense. And oh, not only is this not funny money, it's actually an underlying technology that's going to drive the Web 3.0 in our future, our future um, uh, infrastructure, right? It's going to be the infrastructure that drives our future. So why would you not want to invest in that kind of stuff? So I think that's what we're seeing here. And that should be a good, again, for all of us who are here early, you're here all very early. Uh, there's a great opportunity here to take advantage of it and put yourself and your family in a position, as Coach always says, to try and get some generational wealth here. So uh, be excited, folks. You're here early and uh, just keep doing what the billionaires do and you'll be in good shape. Totally agree. And we actually got some breaking news here. So as we close this out, we're going to get some comments on this. MasterCard has just launched Europe's first Bitcoin-backed card with a line of credit. Uh, Showtime, what are some of your thoughts? Well, I know uh, we'll be closing shop here in just a second as well. So I'll kind of combine everything together here. Patience. Patience wins. It's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. Yes. Right? It's not about trying to say, I'm going to buy the exact bottom and gosh, it's too late now. Um, and I'm going to sell the exact top. This is a great example. Who would have known... 15 years ago, if you would have bought Bitcoin at whatever it was, a dollar or whatever it was, all this was going to happen. We'd be sitting at a crash at like $39,000, right? When you could have bought it under a dollar at some point. I mean, this stuff is about patience. And I just want to emphasize the rest of this year could be rough. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's going to turn around here short term. But the rest of this year could be rough. It could be rough for the passive income market. It could be rough for crypto in general. Patience. Patience will win in the long run. And quite frankly, there's no other alternative. You have nowhere else to go. I'll be very frank with you. So, But I just want to really emphasize with the crypto people, we want to have a Lambo tomorrow. Patience, patience, patience. We can't all be like Jackie, guys. I know Jackie just bought her first Lamborghini. So I'm going to close it out here and say I want to say thank you to Johnny Crypto. Thank you to Gonzo. Of course, thank you to Showtime. We always enjoy having you on our platform. We have all your social medias linked below. So if you guys are looking for any of us, more access to Showtime, Johnny, or Gonzo, go follow them on Twitter. I know they're super active. And Showtime has 23,000 followers on there. So he's producing tons of relevant content, and he's got a great community behind him. So I want to say thank you. We're going to continue bringing you guys the most relevant and impactful crypto topics on a daily basis because we enjoy it so much. And we'll close this thing out the same way we always do. Warriors, rise. rise. Get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us today. Get your shit together. Let's go. Don't forget the monkeys. <laughs> I think I'm feeling like the second one now. I'm feeling a little bit better. <laughs>
you got to that. 